We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to go over a little bit of what Pastor Scott talked about last week, but we're really just going to focus on one word, uh, and that word is comfort. And we're going to talk a little bit about what it looks like to do a word study, how to actually dive deep. So there's, there's always this call that you'll hear in church, you know, to read your Bible, to study your Bible. And it's one thing to hear that call and to want to follow it out, but sometimes we struggle to know how to actually dive deep. And, and I remember as a young Christian, I got saved when I was 17, and I had this very strong desire to learn about this thing that I did not know anything about. And people were saying, you know, study the Bible, read the Bible. And I had to figure out a lot of how to study the Bible on my own. And you guys don't have to do that. You can, and, and if, if you want to, hey, more power to you. If you have that drive, praise God that you have that drive. But I want to show you some things that I learned. I want to take you through a little bit of how I have uh, begun to study and how I study now. And I want you guys to see a little bit of the benefits and see how it's attainable. How is it attainable to become someone who is very learned in Scripture. And I'm going to talk a little bit about my qualifications just so you guys know that it's not something beyond you. Okay? So for me, I'm 31. I became a Christian when I was 17, raised not in the church, raised a Mormon. Okay? So everything that I knew about God as a Mormon, I actually had to unlearn. Okay? So I've been a Christian now for 14 years. And in those 14 years, I have not attended a Bible college. I have not taken a single college class about the Bible. Okay? But I can confidently tell you that I know more than you guys about the Bible. And, and I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm just saying I read the Bible a lot, and I've read it a lot for 14 years. And even in those 14 years, I have learned more than a lot of Christians that I know. All right, so, but I want you guys to understand that that has not been through a Bible college. So you do not have to attend a Bible college to learn how to read the Bible. You guys can go and go to college and major in whatever you want to have your degree in, whatever you want your job to be in, and still be very knowledgeable about the Bible. My degree is in elementary education. Okay, None of that has to do with the Bible. And in fact, most of my degree, I had to actively train myself to not receive some of the information because it was false. All right, things like, you know, evolutionary psychology they were teaching me. And I was like, okay, I'm answering the question this way, but only because you want me to, because so, I want this grade, but the correct answer is this. Okay, so you guys can study the Bible, you can learn, and you can become very knowledgeable. And I'll, I'll say this, you need to become very knowledgeable. You need to. 
if you want to raise godly children, if you want to be a godly father or a godly mother, you need to become competent in the scriptures. Okay? So first step is just this, read it a lot. Spend time every day reading the Bible. That's pretty basic, right? It's, it's really not very complicated. Spend time every day reading the Bible. And, and here's the thing. Consistency is more important than the length of time that you spend in the Bible. Now, you should spend a good bit of time in the Bible, but consistency is more important. All right, so I'll give you the analogy. If you, were, if you wanted to get swole, if you wanted to get buffed, jacked, cut, whatever you guys like, uh, and you thought, okay, I'm going to start working out. And you were like, okay, I'm going to work out five hours this day. And you go work out five hours. And that's all that you do for a whole month. And you do that every month. Once a month, you work out for five hours. And do you know what you'll get? You will be sore once a month for about three days. And you probably won't gain much muscle mass or strength. You'll just be sore once a month. Right? Okay? Now, if you decide to go on, let's go on the other extreme. Let's say I'm going to do one push-up a day for the rest of my life. Okay? One push-up a day. That's going to do more for you than five hours once a month. It really is. Now, ten push-ups a day, that's going to do a lot more than that one push-up. All right? So I'm not saying, hey, just read one verse. Be consistent and have a reasonable goal every day. Even if all you can do is 15 minutes a day of reading through the Bible, it's going to give you gains over time. Okay? You guys following me? Okay? So with that, if you just read 15 minutes a day, you can read through the Bible once a year. Very easily. When I first became a Christian, I read through the Bible in just three months. I didn't do any homework Uh, I was a really bad student right then, but I was so excited about being a Christian that I just came home and and read the Bible every day. And I read through it in in three months. And I know people who said, okay, I've never done it. I want to do it. And I'm going to spend, I'm going to lock myself in my house until I get it done. And they did it in about 10 days. So it's very very doable, 15 minutes a day. Consistency is very important. Okay? So uh, that's the first thing. Read the Bible in English, the language that you are competent in, 15 minutes a day. And over time, you will grow more than the majority of Christians in America if you do that. Okay? All right. Uh, So second thing, we're going to talk about what it looks like to actually dive deep. So that's not diving deep. That's just kind of raking over the surface. If you do that over and over again raking the surface, you'll eventually get deeper and deeper. But if you want to actually dive deep into something specifically, we're going to talk about what it looks like to attempt to learn the languages, what it looks like to even, you know, look at Greek. Uh, We won't look at Hebrew, just Greek, because that's what I know more of. All right, so we're going to look at this passage right here, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. And it says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. All right, so we're going to look at this word comfort. We're not going to, you know, fully exhaust this word, but I want to walk you through a couple different tools that you can use to, to try to get a little bit of a deeper understanding. All right, so you see I've got a lot of books up here, and we're going to walk through some of them. Okay, um, and, and before I do that, I just want to say a little bit of my heart here is, for me, I want you guys to learn. That's my desire. I want you guys to know, I said I know more than you guys, I want you guys to know as much as I do. If possible, I want you to know more than I do, but I don't know how to teach you more than I know, right? I can only teach you what I do know. And, and you guys have what I wish I had. You know, I wish I, that I was raised in the faith, that I had all of these stories stored up over time, and I did not. And I had to learn all of this from scratch as an adult, okay? So you guys have this opportunity to learn. One, for, for you guys, I want you to understand that the, the earlier you start, the more gains you will see over time. There's, there's this saying that my, uh, my mentor would say a lot, uh, Zach, he'd say, when is the best time to plant a fruit tree? And the answer is 10 years ago. And he says, when's the next best time to plant a fruit tree? You know, maybe nine years ago, but today. Today's the best time, right? Today's the time that you have to plant the fruit tree, right? And so you guys are young, and what you need to learn right now is that you're making decisions that will affect you for the rest of your life. And you can start planting this fruit tree now that you're not going to see returns from for a long time, but eventually you will. So when I first became a Christian, very soon after, about a couple years after I became a Christian, I decided I'm going to learn Greek. Okay? I wasn't taking any classes. I just learned that the Bible was written in Greek originally. I didn't even know, New Testament, that it was written in Greek. I was like, oh, this is news to me. I thought it was English. This is cool. There's a whole other language that I need to learn to, to understand, to go and dive deeper. All right? And so you know what I did? I just learned the alphabet. That's the first step you guys take to learning a language, right? When you guys were kids, you learned your ABCs. And you sang the ABC song many times, and you drew the letter A so many times, and A is for apple. What's B for? Boy. C is for crocodile. There's so many books, you know, that have different themes on what all these letters for. You learn these letters, and it's really not very difficult for you to learn the Greek alphabet. You could learn, you could master the Greek alphabet in maybe just a few months of studying it for 15 minutes a day. Do you guys? That's not very much. That's not a long time. Maybe even sooner, because it's very similar to English. Uh, there are some, definitely some differences, but you can learn it pretty quickly. Okay, So that's what I did. That's what I spent 
when I decided, I said, okay, I'm going to learn the Greek alphabet, and I spent a year just learning the Greek alphabet. I'm not a great student, but I was consistent, and I did it over time, and I learned the Greek alphabet. And once I was able to learn just the alphabet, I started to try to read words. All right, and that was its own study, and I would transliterate those Greek words into English. Transliterate just means you take the Greek spelling of the word, and you write it with English letters, right? Does that make sense? Okay, so once I was able to do that, then I could Google those Greek words on the internet and learn what those words meant, right? It's, it's, it was a very simple process, and then once I was able to learn those words, I would write it down, I would study that word, and that was it. You know, i just move on to the next word. And so I would just read the Bible a lot. I, I got this, and so I'm going to show you this first book. This is a Greek New Testament. All right? Uh, these are not super hard to find. You can get them on Amazon. I go to a, a store called McKay's a lot. It sells used books. And every time I go there, if I find a Greek New Testament, I buy it. So if you want one of these... Let me know, and I can sell it to you for how much I bought it for. All right, I won't give it to you for free because I want, I know it's cool, and I'm just not going to hand people free. I want you to think that this is worth something to you because it is. All right, and so if you look right here, I'm going to walk you through my process of what I did. All right, so let's look at this first word right here. Now, already there are a lot of things that you could probably recognize. There's an A-looking letter in there. There's a U-looking letter in there. There's an O-looking letter in there. And there's an S-looking letter in there. Right? You guys see those? Can you see them? Yeah. Is it big enough? No? Let's go closer. Can you see it now? I need feedback. Yes? No? Okay. All right. So right here, there's an A-looking letter, a U-looking letter, an O-looking letter, and an S. All right, this first one, that is a capital P. You are probably familiar with it as pi. You use it in math anytime you're dealing with circles. A lot of math, they borrow Greek letters. It's pronounced like p, just like pi. All right, and then a and u, that's an alpha and an upsilon, pronounced the same way. All right, this is a lambda, it's an L. It looks pretty close to an L, right? You can see it. You know, it's not perfect, but you can see it. Then there's an Omicron, which sounds like an O, makes an ah sound. And then a Sigma. All right, so this is Paulos. It is the Greek name Paul. You guys follow all that? Okay, so you just learned a Greek word. And now you can look at this and you can read it yourself. All right, so P-A-U-L-O-S, what I would do is I would get a notebook, I'd copy it down just like it is, and then I would write P-A-U-L-O-S, and then I would Google Paulos, and then I would learn, oh, that's the name of Paul. It's, it's a, a pretty simple beginning step, and I've been doing that for 14 years, so I've seen gains. I've never taken a Greek class, just this, over a long time, and I can pretty much read and understand this book now. Okay, so it takes a long time, little, little by little. Okay, so here's what I would do. Uh, you can look up Paulos, 
And then here's a companion book that you guys have maybe heard of, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. Now, this is not just a tool for Greek. You can use this tool even if you don't want to learn Greek. This book, someone, I mean, he had so much time on his hands. He literally cataloged every word in the Bible and said how many times it's in the Bible and every place that you can find it in the Bible. So if you, if you, were, if you were like, I want to know what God says about love, you can turn to the L's. All right, just like a dictionary, I'm at Lord right now. You can see that, that that's happened a lot of times. There's like a lot of pages just on all the times Lord. This is, it's 20 pages just on how many times Lord has occurred in the Bible. All right, and then we can get to love. Can you guys see this? Is this smaller? All right, we can get to love. Here it is right here. And we can find all the times that love is used. You can see, all right, here's Jude, Revelation. Uh, lost my spot. Okay, so here, where is love? Okay, all right, so starting here, here's love. I'm sorry. There we go. All right. I just assume you guys can see everything I can see. I'm sorry. So here's love right here. All right. And it starts in Genesis and it says a little bit of the sentence. Make me savory meat such as I and then they'll just put the first letter such as I love. That was uh, Isaac talking to Esau trying to tell him, hey, go make me some meat. I'm going to bless you. Right? And every time that the word love is used, it is in this concordance. So it goes through every time. All right? So even if you just want to know, hey, what does God say about love? You can look and you can, if you want to, you can look up every single verse that the word love is mentioned. Now, this is King James Version, I believe. Um, so it'd be different for different translations. But here's how crazy this is. There's even a whole section just on like prepositions, which I think is probably unnecessary. But here's all the times and is in the Bible. And he just lists all the verses. You can imagine all the times and is in the Bible. It's a pretty common word. All right, so just pages on that. All right, then we get to the actual Hebrew concordance. I'm going to back up. The actual Hebrew concordance, all right? And it lists just like a dictionary, okay? So it starts in Aleph. And if you guys don't know that Hebrew is also based on the same language uh, characters that we use. The first two letters in the Greek or in the Hebrew are Aleph and Beth. So, alphabet, which is, and we get alphabet from the Greek, which is alpha, beta, alphabet. Okay, so when we talk about the alphabet, it, it, it just means the first two letters of, of our language. So it starts out here, and it will do just like a dictionary. 
There's the Hebrew. I can't read that. I, I haven't gotten that far in my studies, but I can't read that. Uh, also, Hebrew's backwards, so that's interesting. But it will transliterate for you. It's, it's Ab, and it's Father in a literal and uh, or figurative remote application, Chief, Father, uh, by extension, Patrimony, Principle, uh, Names in Abi all have to do with this father. That's, that's an important thing to remember. So like Abraham, his name starts with the A-B. What's his name mean? Does anyone know? No one knows Abraham. What? Father of many. Father of many. Uh, or exalted father. All right. So his name starts in A-B, father of many. All right. So any name you read in the Old Testament that starts out with A-B, it usually has to do with Father. All right. Moving on to the Greek, here's what you can do if you just look that word up, Paul. And, and I'm going to start out very difficult, and then we're going to get to easier, because this is not what I do now. You guys have better tools than I had. Um, so you just go through just like a dictionary. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta, iota, kappa, lambda, mu, nu, xi. You know, it, it, you can learn it just like it. All right, so here we are in the P's, and I'm going to find Paulos. All right. Here we go. Can you guys see that? You know, I need to zoom in. Yes. All right, right here. Paulos. All right, and so here's what's great about the Strong's Concordance. It transliterates it for you. All right, so here it is in the Greek, and then here it is in English characters. So if you were confused or thought you might have it wrong, it tells you right here. So just look it up in the Greek New Testament, find it in Strong's Concordance, and it will tell you how to pronounce it. Okay, so then we can read the definition. It even tells you how to pronounce paulos of Latin origin, meaning little. So did anyone know Paul's name meant little? We learned something. Okay, but remotely from a derivative of, and then all the numbers, I'll get into that in a second, meaning the same. Paulus, the name of a Roman and of an apostle, Paul, Paul and Paulus. Okay, so that's basically a way that you can begin to do a word study is you can look up the word in the Greek, look up a concordance and it will tell you the definition. All right. So that's the difficult way. That's the way that I learned. And it took a long time. But there are a lot better tools now. There were even a lot better tools then, but I didn't know them. Uh, so here's two tools that are excellent. One, and I'm borrowing these two from Scott, is an interlinear Bible. It's got Hebrew, Greek, and English. And what interlinear means is that every other line will be a different language. So if you look right here, it's got the Hebrew in a line, and then it has the English in a line. I know that's so tiny. I, I don't really know how to make that better. I don't think it can go any 
more focused than that. There we go. Okay, so it's got the Hebrew in one line, and then it's got the English in another. Now, here's what it has that my Greek New Testament does not have. It goes ahead and tells you these numbers right here. So you guys are not very familiar with this foreign language, and so it's numbered every word in its dictionary. So you don't have to memorize how to spell it. You can just look up the number in strong concordance. Okay, so that's what those numbers are. Every word that's in the Bible has a number, a Strong's number, and you can look it up in Strong's concordance by the number if you don't know that language. Okay, so that's again a pretty good tool. It's really helpful if you're uh, wanting to read it, but wanting to also have the translation right there. Okay, so here's the Greek. All right, and then here's the English right below it. And then every word, so this one's apokrithe, that's word 611. Uh, it means to answer or respond. Uh, there's moi, which means me, and it has a number, and you could just look that up in the concordance. All right? Um, so this is available if you, want, if you want to buy it, then talk to Scott. And so this is the keyword study Bible. It's similar to the interlinear, but it's a lot less detailed and just focuses on what we would call keywords, things that are very important. All right, now, all, the, all God's words are important, but these are ones that are especially essential to the understanding of the text. So he's not, they're not going to have numbers on the words like and or the prepositions. It's going to be on main nouns and verbs. Okay, so if you read right here, this is 2 Corinthians, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So right here, these key words are underlined, and then the Strong's number is right next to it. What's cool about these Bibles in particular is they have the concordance in the Bible. So you don't need two books. You don't need to get this big honking book right here. You can just get one that has your Bible and the Strong's concordance. So you can see, okay... This number is 2,128, and you can go, all right, it says New Testament Dictionary right here, and all the numbers are up here, so you just flip through to 2,128. Really doesn't even take that much time. And then you can find where it says, Yugoletas, all right, so it tells you, the, tells you the word, transliterates it, tells you how to pronounce it, eulagetas, from, and then it tells you the root word that it's from, it's the one right before it, which means adorable or blessed. It's an adjective to bless, all right, and it's got all these things right here. In the New Testament, only of God, for example, worthy of praise, used as a doxology. Doxology just means a word of praise. Blessed be God, and then here's some examples that it is used in it. That's not the only times that it's used. Uh, but those are some examples. Spoken of Christ as God, blessed be Christ in Romans 9. Also, and then here's some or examples. So you can, uh, what's awesome about this is that you can see not just the definition, but you can see other times that this specific Greek word is used. Okay, you guys follow me so far? I know this is complicated and nerdy, but I'm speaking to the people who want to learn. Okay? If you don't want to learn, that's fine. Ignore me. I'm speaking to the ones who want to learn, who want to grow, and who want some tools in their tool belt. Okay? So here's 
how that can be helpful, right? So I, I've gone ahead and I have done a word study on 1 Corinthians, okay? So the word that we're looking at is paraclesis, paraclesis. And in, in the keyword study Bible, right, this word is right here underlined, and we have the Strong's Concordance. So you can go to the Strong's Concordance, and you can look it up, and then and here are all the ways that that word is translated in the ESV, that word paraclesis. It is translated comfort. It is translated console. It's translated as encouragement, as exhortation, as earnestness, and appeal. All right, so here's why it's important to begin to learn the, the languages. Greek is not like English. And any time you translate from one language to another, there are difficulties in meaning. Even if one person is just saying a word that they like to use a certain way, sometimes there's a confusion in meaning, right? You guys have communicated with someone and, and, and they've completely confused what you've meant before. That happens all the time from English to English. So how much more from when we have this, this work translated from Greek to English, okay? So just like in English, though, Greek has words that have multiple meanings. Or what's tricky is sometimes a word will mean something that there's not exactly an English equivalent for. And so they kind of dance around it with a lot of other words that get close to it. And so sometimes you have to think of all the ways that it is translated to give you a robust knowledge of what Paul means when he uses the word comfort. All right? And Scott was getting at this last week when he first read this. And when you guys first read this, the most common way that we think of comfort is this, translate, is this definition right here, a state of ease with freedom from pain and anxiety. But I'll go ahead and tell you, that's not what Paul means when he says comfort. And this is an important part of reading and interpreting Scripture is you don't get to decide what God means when he says something. That's what Scott means when he says your feelings don't mean jack squat when they contradict God's word. It, it's not about what you feel when you read this. Oh, God is giving me this state of comfort and ease. I would like that. That's not what he's saying. All right. And people do this all the time with God's word, specifically like this for the prosperity gospel. They take a lot of verses that God mentions riches or treasure or wealth, and they'll interpret it as this physical wealth that they are supposed to get on this earth. And they'll say, hey, you're supposed to get rich and God told you that you're going to get rich. But I'll tell you, that's not what God says, not the way that they mean it. God is promising us an eternal inheritance in heaven all right, where no one can steal it, where moth cannot destroy it, where it does not corrode. All right, there is an imperishable wealth laid up for us in heaven. All right, and so it's important that we try to figure out what does Paul mean. All right, so here's all these ways that it's translated. Uh, and here's a couple verses that use the same word. I've, I put them in bold. So Acts chapter 4, verse 36 Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, 
which means son of encouragement. So there they translated that word paraclesis as encouragement. And that's the nickname for Barnabas, the guy who traveled around with Paul, is his name means son of encouragement. Uh, all right, and uh, then Hebrews 12, verse 5, uh, this word exhortation is the word paraclesis. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. This one's really interesting because in that, in that translation of the word, what we have right here does not seem like a state of ease. He's talking about being disciplined. That's not a state of ease, right? That's not what we would consider comfortable. You got, is it comfortable to get your butt whooped? Thank you, Scott. It's not comfortable. And it's not supposed to be. All right? But he's saying that is an exhortation, that same word paraclesis. All right? 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 4 says, I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. Does it seem like Paul's in a state of ease when he's talking about his comfort? No, he says, in all our affliction. Right? And even going on into chapter 1, he's talking about all the suffering that they experienced in Asia. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3-4, through 4, he says, For our appeal, and that word appeal is the word paraclesis, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. So in that sense, it's actually he's charging people to do something. He's calling people to action. That doesn't sound like a state of ease, does it? It, it, it doesn't. All right. So going back to that, here's, here's these words. All right. And here's the challenge whenever you're reading scripture and trying to dive deep. And trying to understand what he's saying, you're going to look at all these ways that the word is translated, and then you're going to try to say, what does, which one does he mean here in this context? All right? And here's the thing, too, that there are, whenever you look up words in the dictionary, you need to look up the word that makes the most sense in the context that you're reading the word. All right? So, for example, we have an English word, bear. If I ask you guys, what does bear mean? Well, there's a couple different definitions. You'd, have, you'd say, well, what's the context? If you were smart, you'd say, well, what's the context? If I say, I was running away from a bear, you would know which definition to use, wouldn't you? Immediately. You would know a large creature that will kill me if I don't make it away, right? If I say, I was bearing my burden, you know which bear I mean, right? You don't think that I was carrying a bear, do you? No, you know exactly what I mean, all right? And so in Greek, it's the same way they have words that have multiple definitions, and it's the context that lets you know which definition to use. So, for example, this word paraclesis, it's translated as comfort, console, encouragement, all of the very similar flavor. All right. But exhortation and appeal, they don't have the same flavor as comfort and consolation and encouragement. Maybe a little. There's, there's something there. But it doesn't have the same flavor, right? So when we read this, this passage, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Do you think it'd be good to say God of all appeals? 
Does that make, does that fit the context? You're, and you're supposed to ask yourselves those questions as you're studying. The God of all earnestness, does that fit the context? It says that he comforts us in all of our affliction. Does he appeal to us in all of our affliction? Well, maybe he does, but does that fit the context of the sentence? He encourages us in all our affliction? Yeah, I think maybe he does. That might be close. Who consoles us in all of our affliction? That seems pretty good. God does console us in our affliction. Right? And here's the definition of console, something that alleviates or lessens grief, sorrow, or disappointment. And here's, here's two more definitions of comfort that I think are really helpful is relief and affliction, or consolation is one, the definition for comfort, and then strengthening aid or assistance. So when we read this passage right here, and we're seeing, okay, God the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, we have to say, okay, is Paul saying that God is the God of all ease and laziness and comfort in that sense? Yes or no? Is, does that fit the context? Does it line up with the rest of Scripture that, to put that translation in there? Okay? And then there are words that might make sense. The God, the God of all appeals. Okay? That might make sense with the word, but does it make sense in the context? Does it, does it make sense in the context? It doesn't. All right? So, God of all comfort. It is a good translation, but then we even need to think about the way that we think about the word comfort. And we have to look up the English word and say, okay, how, which English word, all right? Is it relief and affliction, consolation, or strengthening aid, assistance? And I think it's a little bit of both. I think that's why sometimes words are translated differently. Sometimes this word is translated as consolation, okay? So again, this, this is nerdy. I'm going to show you the way I do it today, which is much easier because I have a, te a, a telephone, a smartphone, and it, I have apps on it. And I can do all of it without carrying around these four huge books. Okay? This is a tool. I just want you guys to know that it's a tool. Not a toy, a tool. Okay? So I have this app right here. It is called Accordance. Like one accord and then the word dance. That's a little better. All right, it's this one right here. If you want this app, let me know and I can show it to you on the App Store if you have an iPhone. Google Play, I don't know. I know they have it, but I, you know, I, I don't know. Nerds. All right, so here it is. It looks like a flame, all right? You click on it, and it's just a Bible app. It's like every Bible app in a lot of ways. This will be very similar to if you, if you, if you like Olive Tree or Lagos or Blue Letter Bible. It's very similar. Just, those apps are just as good. This is just the one I use because I'm very familiar with it. I've used it for a long time, and so I'm very comfortable with it. Here's what I like about Accordance. All right, top left, I pick my book. Here we go, 2 Corinthians. Here we go to the passage. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort. Here's what I can do with my phone. I can tap the word comfort, and then immediately right below it is all the information that I talked about. You don't have to flip a page. You just tap it, and it tells you everything you need to know about it. It's wonderful. And so since you guys have th this kind of tool within your grasp, I don't think you have a good excuse for not using it. That was, that was kind of why I showed you all the really hard ways first, the really boring ways, the ways that I know you're not going to use, okay? Is because I wanted to show, it's so easy to use this and to learn, all right? So here's, here's what I actually will do now, very frequently. I will go to church and I'll be listening to a sermon. I will go to the passage that we're at. So we were in Romans uh, Sunday, right? Uh, what, what verse was it? Okay, yeah, chapter 6, starting in verse 3. I was thinking chapter 3, but it was verse 3. Okay, so do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Here's what I will do still today to teach me vocabulary, is I'll, I'll, I will look at this passage and I'll, I'll do the keywords myself. I think, oh, I want to know what the Greek word for baptized is. Spoiler, it's the word baptizo. We just transliterate that one. It means immersion, all right? I wish that the Bible translated it as immersion, all right? But you highlight it and it tells you right here, it's, I know it's so tiny, uh, baptizo, all right? Here it is in Greek. Here it is in English. What I will do, I have a notebook. I will, I will copy the Greek spelling. Then I will write the English spelling next to it. And then I will write the definition. And that's it. I'm listening to the sermon. I'm writing down Greek words. I'm learning vocabulary. I have done that for 14 years, and that is the main way that I have learned Greek. It's just every Sunday... I learn about 10 new Greek words. And some of the, sometimes they're the same Greek words that I've learned several times because I, I forget things and I need to learn them again. All right, but that's the main way that I've, I've, I have learned Greek. All right, if you want to get really nerdy, then you can buy a Greek New Testament on this app and it's almost like an interlinear. You can make it like an interlinear where... Anytime that I scroll, like if I go to verse 4, it turns to verse 4 in the Greek. So I can see it all right there. And what's cool is I highlight it uh, up here. It usually does. It's Thanatos. I highlight it up here, and it's highlighted both, both places. Okay, so I can see it in the Greek New Testament, see it in the English, all right? Uh, it's, it begins to parse it, so if you start to learn some grammar, it does all the grammar stuff for you. If, if you're uh, at Headwaters, we start to, we're, we're parsing words and, and diagramming them. Uh, this, this parses it for you. It tells you exactly what, what it is, so you could diagram exactly what you want. When I, I diagram sentences, and when I diagram it's mainly in the Greek, because you know what? Greek's confusing. I don't know how the sentences work together. And I need to take some time to figure it out. Okay, so there's some tools. No, that was nerdy. 
I don't expect everyone to immediately master Greek, but you have these tools at your disposal. I can, I can give you these tools. I can help you use these tools. If you want to sit down, I'm just giving you like a three-minute explanation of this is a really cool tool. You should use it. If you want to learn all of the things that you can do with this, I can sit down and talk with you about it. Okay? That offers on the table. I can teach you how to use this app. I can teach you some Greek. Okay? There's no excuse for how, for how young you guys are to not begin to learn this because it's very important. And so this is the main way that I want to finish is I want to show you why it's important. It's why it's so important to learn the meaning of words and their context and what the Bible means when it says things. Uh, there is this commercial that just came out. Uh, am I going to be on the speaker? Okay. Watch this commercial. Some of you have already seen it. You watched the Super Bowl. All right, so that video was mainly pictures and then just a few words, just a few words. First, first set of words were Jesus didn't teach hate. Uh, Jesus didn't teach hate. Okay, so here's the problem with that is that it's true but it's full of implications. Okay, it's true that Jesus didn't teach hate. Does, did anybody ever hear about a passage where Jesus te teaches us to hate other people? No. Okay, Jesus doesn't teach hate. All right, and then it's followed up with the phrase, Jesus washed feet. And right before we saw all these images of people washing other people's feet, uh, you know, just regular people, drug addicts, people who are living in sexual sin, all sorts of people that their feet are being washed. Um, and they're saying Jesus didn't teach hate, he washed feet. Okay, so here's, here's the problem with that. It's very vague and it's filled with a lot of implications. And so here's the implications, is that every time Jesus was confronted with someone who was living in sin, he washed their feet. Is that what Jesus did every time he saw someone in sin? No. no. Now, Jesus did show love, but I want to show you guys a very important passage. You should memorize this passage. Uh, one second. It's uh, Mark 10, verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, 
you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So in that passage, we see Jesus talking to someone who is in sin, and he tells them things that make that person sad. But this video, it has this implication that when we preach the gospel, it's hateful because people don't like the message. And that's not a good message to send. And so people read scripture and they see all these times that Jesus says to love one another, love your neighbor, all right? And they think that that's first. And they miss the part where it says love God is the greatest commandment and then love your neighbor. And then they take that word love and they, they choose their own meanings. And they say, well, to love someone means to make them feel good about themselves. To love someone means to encourage them. And what they mean by encourage is make them feel good about themselves. And that's not what love is. It's just not. Sometimes love makes people feel good about themselves. It really does, right? Sometimes love hurts people, especially when that person is in sin. And that's a key theme of this book that we're studying. And this is, this is why I'm, I'm talking about it. It's, it's all tied to this book, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Is these Corinthians are in sin. And what Paul does is he doesn't just say, oh, I love you guys. He spends 15 chapters telling them all about their sin and that they need to repent. And then he writes another book saying, hey, I want you to know my motives. I love you and I want you to repent. And so he's saying that we can have unity. We can have togetherness. We can have fellowship, but it's only through repentance. And so that, the message that this video is sending is, hey, you can have unity with the world. And here's the thing, you cannot. Not while they indulge in sin. You can love them. That part is true. And so that's what's tricky about these, these kinds of messages is they seem true, they feel true, they appeal to our emotions that we should just go around and we should uh, love on them is, the, is the, the word that's thrown around. And what does that even mean? The way that we love people is by sharing the truth of the gospel with them. And so you need to learn how to dive deep into God's word. You need to spend a lot of time in God's word so that you know the truth. If you want to love your neighbor, you need to know the truth. You cannot love your neighbor without knowing the truth. And so dive deep into God's word. If, if you're going to do nothing else, you're not going to use any of those tools, just read it every day. Wash yourself with the word every day, constantly, because you're filthy. You need to be washed by it. You need to be reminded of the truth, and you need to dive deep. You, you do. And, and we can teach you. We can, we, can, we can learn how to use these tools. We can. It takes time. And you won't see a lot of fruit for a long time. And you're going to think a lot of things and you're going to be wrong a lot of times. Just like learning anything, it's filled with mistakes. But over time, you're going to learn the truth and you're going to become someone of confidence where you can walk out into the world and you know, I can share the gospel with this person. I don't know what they believe, but I can share the gospel with them. I can listen to them and hear from them and know how to reach them with the gospel. 
And that's, that's a wonderful thing. I, I feel that kind of confidence as I go out into the world. I know that if anyone comes up to me, I have an answer for them. And, Paul, and Peter tells me to have an answer for them. It says to be prepared to defend the faith. Do you guys all feel prepared to defend the faith if anyone comes up to ask you about your faith? I, I don't think you all do. And I'm not saying that to make you feel better. I'm saying that to urge you on into deeper knowledge of God's word. Because I want you to have that confidence. I don't want you to be scared for someone to come and ask you questions. I want you to be confident. I don't want you to spend your time doubting the faith. I want you to spend the time preaching the faith. Okay? So this is very important. Um, just one last thing is this person saw the, the, the YouTube commercial and then very quickly, very easily remade it to actually preach the gospel. I think it's, it's excellent. Former witch. Just a really excellent video, really clear. You used to be this way, then through repentance, you, are, you have the love of Christ. Okay, So it matters the words that you use. It's helpful to study the Bible and to dive deep, and I would really encourage you to do so. I know that was really long. Thank you guys for, for paying.